Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Unkview. We have so much to talk about today that we're just going to dive right into it. We're going to try to skip past all the normal rigmarole that we do up front here that causes you to click off so quickly most of the time. <laughs> today, we're going to be talking about a whole range of stuff. The number one thing we're going to talk about is a really interesting situation involving an ongoing story that Brendan happens to be very close uh, to and with, and that is the ongoing feud between Jerry Seinfeld and James Altucher. If you've listened to this program before, uh, you know that um, James has been a mentor and friend of Brendan for several years. He's one of the first people that Brendan connected with when Brendan was thinking about moving to New York. And uh, Brendan had performed at James's comedy club, which is called Stand Up New York. They developed a friendship. James has become a mentor. James was the one who challenged Brendan to write professionally. And Brendan has published now a couple of books, one of which James has, or one or more of which, actually, I'm not even sure if it's one or more. If, of if just, just the Power Bible, he wrote the four and four. But he's yeah. been a big supporter of mine, which has just been great. Yeah, which is phenomenal. So James has uh, written a blog post which we covered in on onfew.com, uh, talking about the demise of New York City and how James thinks it could be permanent. Jerry Seinfeld wrote a rebuttal to that, which was pretty harsh. And so that has been going on in the past week or so. And Brendan, because of his friendship and professional relationship with James, and and ironically, the the Power Bible, the topic of that, or one of the main topics in that is very germane to James's situation. So Brendan and his and his co-author of that Power Bible, William Batit III, have actually been functioning as sort of counselors with James as he navigates these turbulent waters with Jerry Seinfeld. So we're going to talk about that and uh, a number of other things. So let's just get right into it. Did I ever tell you the story about the the client of mine that that had a heart transplant that I actually believe happened? Only because I prayed for him. What? What? No. I'm not joking. The short version of the story, or, or the medium version of the story, is that this guy was, I don't know how old he was at the time, he uh, contracted some sort of a terminal heart condition that basically rendered his heart something like 6 or 8 or 10% functional, like 90% of his heart or more was dead. It yeah, literally bro. just didn't work anymore. And it happened in Thailand when he was on an expedition to uh, add items to this eclectic collection of things that he had in his home, which included stuff that was illegal to own in America. Uh, that included things like, you ever heard of a, you know, do you know what a Russian icon is? No. I didn't either until I met this guy. But basically, it's, it's a painting, I believe. It's a painting that has a very distinctive look. I'm sure you've seen them. I won't bore you with the description of what it looks like, but it has a very distinctive look, and apparently it's illegal to possess them outside of Russia per Russian law or international law or something. I don't know. But this guy was a multimillionaire and a collector of things. He never came out and said, hey, I like to collect shit that's illegal, but that's mm -hmm. how it came off to me. So anyway, he had these Russian icons, and he was in Thailand trying to get something to add to his collection and he contracted this virus which killed his heart basically so man so he uh when i met him he was probably i'm gonna say 65 or 70 years old and the first time i met him he called me randomly and said hey 
I've tried to sell my house in the past. I just saw your advertising. I'd like to talk to you about it. So I went over to his house. Some like maid opens the door. And it's, you know, it's like a million five kind of range house. And she leads me into this, the largest room I've ever been in in my life in a private residence. This room was, I believe the actual dimensions were like 44 by 24. This is massive room. And one end of it was this display case uh, glassed in and like heavily secured and it had all the stuff in it including like some of the earliest glass ever made on earth and some other things that were Ming, Ming dynasty gold and all yeah. this shit that was just insanely rare and valuable and then this he was had, just your client this guy well he became my client I, I was yeah. just meeting him for the first time anyway the point of that story is well the room was crazy and he was laying on the floor under a blanket, like on the hardwood. What? Yeah. And he talked like this. I am sorry. I can't talk with much more vigor than this because of, I have a serious heart condition, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. What? I'm going to have to stop talking here in a second and catch my breath. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, I came to know this guy really well. Relationship went on for years, and at one point I was selling a different house for him. That he built a number of houses around Northville. I met him and and we were talking about his condition because basically sometimes he felt good enough that he could actually get up and get in the car and drive, you know, with, to somewhere else in Northville and be there for ten minutes and then get back in the car and go home. And then you know, he could do that like his maximum activity. That was his like max effort. Yeah. Anyway, so it was one of those times when he was actually out. I met him at this other house, and we started talking, and somehow the issue of God came up, and. Oh, by the way, I, I should have mentioned this part, too, is that when he told me about his heart condition, he also told me that professionally one of his clients was a major mafia player and that this major mafia player had developed a fond relationship with him as well and mm -hmm. had offered uh, when when my client, whose name was John, when John told him, um, I'm sorry, I'm just fucking this story up. Basically, his heart was so bad that if, you're, if your condition is, is bad enough, you're not even eligible to be on a transplant list, which I didn't know. Like, if, you, if you're so far gone, they won't even, like, consider you. And that's, yeah. that's the status he had reached. So anyway, this mafia— So he was, like, terminal, basically. Yeah, the he's just waiting to die. like, look, we're not going to save you. Right. He's just waiting to die. And so this mafia guy, you know, when John told him what I just told you about he's not eligible for a transplant, he said, that's not a problem. I'll, I'll take care of that for you. And wow. John's like, I'm sorry, what? And so what this guy was clearly implying was that he would have somebody whacked. So he could go get a heart for this guy. Right. And what? John and John said, nah, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with that. Back to the conversation I was having with him that day, uh, which actually is the last time I saw the man. So we're talking about that, and and I said, you know, John. Where do you stand in terms of like believing in God? And he was just sort of a classic, you know, intellectual guy. He was a psychiatrist, psychologist, and just really well read, very learned. This is his brilliance was obvious the minute you met him. And he's like, Yeah, I just, I, I don't believe in that. And so anyway, we, we had a long conversation, and, and I kind of, I just kind of wore him down with the conversation. And I'm like, John, what do you have to, what do you have to lose by believing? What do you have to lose? What's the downside? And he didn't have a good answer to that. So anyway, I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And mm -hmm. he's like, um, all right, I guess. Go ahead. So I did that. 
I specifically prayed that somehow his heart would be healed or replaced. He reminded me he wasn't eligible to be on that list. And so fast forward, I'm going to say seven days. And mm. I get a phone call from him. Uh, I actually get a, a phone call from a hospital. And I can see it on my caller ID that it's like, you know, U of M hospital. And uh, it's him calling from his room. And he said, hey, Mike, it's John. Uh, I'm like, what's going on? I see, I see you're calling from a hospital. And he's like, yeah, uh, I just had my heart replaced. What? I said, what? Is a long story, but I had to call you first. You're literally the first person I'm calling when I came to after the surgery. But somebody was eligible for a transplant. A heart was flown in, and there was a complication of some sort. And they had to find someone, you know, they didn't want to waste it. They had to find someone to take it. And just by fluke, he happened to be, you know, they did have his record like in a file somewhere. And he was like the only one who was within a certain radius or time frame. I don't recall the exact specifics of it. I just know that he gets a phone call saying, hey, we have a replacement heart if you want it. You know, you mm -hmm. got to be in here in like an hour. And what? That, that's what happened. And what? Yeah, swear to God. True story. Is he still, and this guy's still around? I have no idea. Because the, wow. the last time I talked, well, it's, it's, it's the, <laughs> this is going to fuck the whole story up. So the end of the story is that after that happened, he completely fucked me in real estate. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is why, this is like, you, you, this industry is so nuts. I mean, like, yeah, people fuck over people in every industry, I guess. But this industry is so nuts because you don't hear stories about, like, computer programmers fucking people over after they have this, like, right. like real estate is like you have this intense relationship with somebody because they're buying or selling the most, you know, their, their largest financial transaction exactly. of their lives. And then, like, exactly. they fuck you over by doing whatever with, you know. Exactly. Like they, it's just the weirdest thing because it's like you you get these – you, I mean, this is like happening with me right now. Actually, I could use your advice. This is worth putting on the pod because maybe this is advice that I'm recording it. That's that's a great story. Secondly, I gotta relate to you another story uh, about uh, you know God and Paracaleo in a minute, which is a word I will explain. But I am looking at you know maybe buying an income property, and I apparently committed a horrible act of real estate uh, betrayal without knowing it. Because I'm in Manistee and my dad's friends with this woman who's a realtor and I saw a house that I was like, oh, this could be a great, it's a duplex, could be a good investment. Um, so I called up my dad's friend and I said, hey, could you, I'm not in town, this was months ago, could, but, but could you show this property to my dad? He's going to take a look and he's going to get back to me information because I think this might be a good investment. He was like, sure. So this is like some months ago. So I'm now in Manistee and I am walk. I just go on walks around the town and I passed a different property and just wanted some information on it. And I called the listing agent and just was like, hey, can I just get some information on this property? I think you can see where the story is oh, going. Yeah. Maybe I know exactly where it's going. Yeah. So she says, yeah, this she gives me information on the property. And I'm like, bad. I'm not really interested in this one. And she goes, well, what are you looking for? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of looking for like a duplex, whatever. And she's like, oh, I got another one I can show you. And I was like, sure. So she took me to this property. So I didn't know that that was like a big prop. That's a big deal, apparently. So she took me to a property and it wasn't until I was in it and looking at it and she hands me information that I realized, oh, this isn't her listing. Like this is mm. somebody else's listing. 
that she's now taken me to. And now I'm like, well, fuck, if I go back to using the first realtor who I intended on using, then it's kind of like yep. I'm betraying her for showing me the property. And the other realtor feels like, why did you see this listing with this other agent yep. that isn't the listing agent? I had no, I just wandered into that problem, not even thinking it was an issue. I mean, just not even thinking about it. And and what you just did there, that story you just told is a classic. In fact, I would I would call that maybe the single most classic of all examples of how that happens because and it's it, it's so easy to understand because you were completely innocent in your actions you didn't you just didn't know and the second agent i don't want to call her unethical that's that's not accurate that's an exaggeration but you know what i'm getting at there is that she should have said hey the one i'm going to this other one i'm going to tell you about isn't my listing but she yeah. really had no she had no real reason to say that because you hadn't told her or I, and assume. I was, had another agent. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you not telling her that because you logically assumed that she was referring to one of her own listings. Not that mm. that would have changed anything, but there is some nuance there. There's some minor nuance there. And and if I blame anybody in this scenario, I blame your first agent because your first agent should have told you right out of the gate. Like once once it was clear to her or him that you thought you guys were working together or that she thought mm -hmm. it, she should have said, hey, just let me tell you a couple quick things right up front. Number one is if you ever encounter another real estate agent, you have to announce the fact that you're represented by somebody else. Because if you don't, it opens the door to all these potential problems and agency and uh, procure the term is procuring cause. So whoever was, quote, the procuring cause of a real estate transaction is the one who's legally entitled to the commission. And there's so much nuance and there's so much gray area in that, as you experienced, it's a nightmare. And for whatever it's worth, what you did was on a scale of one to 10 in terms of mistakes, and I'm putting my fingers in the air because you really yeah. didn't make a mistake per se, It's that'd be like a one. So that's nothing, that's nothing because what what you should have done, which you know, how would you have known, would have been to the second you realized what was happening, with that second agent, you should have said, hey, hey, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to mislead you, I just didn't understand what was going on here. I already have an agent, just so you know. Mm, you know, mm. that, that, that would have been the correct action to take and that wouldn't necessarily have cured everything, but with 97% of agents, it would have, because that agent would have then said, ah, crap, backed off and that would have been the end of it. Yep. Yeah, man, it's like a weird, what a weird. <laughs> it's a crazy industry. And, yeah. and, and actually, you started to say this earlier and you didn't finish the sentence, or maybe you did. Uh, actually, now that I think about it, you did. When you said the most expensive, yeah, you did. The most expensive. Yeah, the expensive yeah. uh, transaction in most people's lives. Right. So people just, people's behavior is at their absolute potential worst because it's like, you know, you're talking five, six, 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 commission at stake on a given deal. And mm. given how little money it takes for people to fuck one another over, <laughs> you know, <laughs> throw 15K or 20K on a table and see what people will do. It's insane. I mean, some of the behavior that I see in the industry, it's just, it's crazy how people will blatantly break the law because they just feel like nobody's ever going to enforce the law. And you, it's people just run wild. I could, I could, I actually, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I actually have written a book 
that I've not done anything with, and you and I need to talk about this at some point. Because what you you actually wrote you wrote a book about um, my guess is about confessions of a of a uh, a realtor or something. Yeah, it's called Real Estate Confidential, and basically it is it is exactly that. It is my telling of my experiences, and I'm not done this. This is my th- I believe my thirtieth year in the business. And some of the shit I've seen is just crazy. And not only that, but I, I just just having heard a handful of these stories, Uncle Mike, I this would be this would be it probably be a bestseller in the real estate industry. Uh, maybe I don't know, but it's it's crazy because there's so many different facets to it. Number one would be just the fact that it's so easy to get a real estate license that literally right now you, I could tell you exactly what to do. So that you could have an actual real estate license legally earned mm, 40 hours from now. And when I say 40 hours, I mean like 40 clock hours, not like 40 business hours, because you can take all this shit online. So it's so that the examination is so simple. Like I honestly could have passed the exam without any preparation. Now, granted, I need to qualify that by saying I'd worked for 10 years as a CPA before that. So I had a lot of legal knowledge from that. So if I didn't have that background, that wouldn't have been true. But I did have that background. So, I mean, it was just a joke. So I, I mean, you could go get a license so, so easily. And in fact, if you have any interest in really getting into the, you know, the, the buying and selling of properties, I would mm-hmm. advise you to get a license just because the money that I'll put in your pocket is potentially significant. So, I mean, yeah. we, we let's not let's not continue this conversation now, but just so you know, if you really do have an interest, let me know because I could help you with that really easily. But, so, what was the thing um, you said about God some term? Oh boy. Yeah, so this is very interesting. So, unk few, we air all grievances, we air all of our dirty laundry. Here we go. So, I'm in a kind of a shitty situation. I hate to say it, but my relationship with Gloria is uh, coming to an end, which is very oh, I'm sad. I'm so sorry to hear that. I love her very much. She's wonderful. We she both is. still have feelings for each other. I think that we're kind of, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, sort of not on the program, but like we love each other very much. And if love were enough, that would be great. But I think that she's, I mean, who knows? I think that maybe part of this is that she needs some space to really think about what she kind of wants. And I think that she has some questions about like, dude, what is your, if you're going to be doing comedy all the time, like, am I going to just stay home to be, you know, raising a bunch of kids by myself or what is that going to look like? Uh, and these are completely legitimate things for her to think about. And, you know, and also I think it's just a very bizarre and stilted time due to coronavirus. And absolutely the problem is like, uh, there's almost like extra, extra pressure on a normal relationship because you're like in a locked in a submarine with somebody like you can't, really go absolutely thing absolutely yeah. she's an introvert and the natural social outlet that she has is work here's my theory people who are extroverts have such a high need for social interaction that they will like the the joke in the pandemic was like oh extroverts are dying introverts are doing great i actually don't think that's true i think that actually i think it hurt extroverts but we're so used to having to create social situations to get our fix that we have all the skills we need to create those social situations in a situation in, in a bizarre scenario like this. So it's like I can't go out and see people at the bar. I can't go out and hang out. But what can I do? I'm going to start Zoom calling people. I'm going to have a lot of conversation with my friends. I'm going to create a happy hour TV show. 
you know, live stream for Facebook. I'm going to do extra podcasts, whatever. I'm going to figure out how to do that. I think that a lot of introverts don't actually haven't built up the skills to handle just a, a weird scenario like this because they've never had to. And I think that whereas the need for most introverts, the social need for them is just lower and it's met by having conversations with people at work and out in the world that when those things suddenly go away, now they're like, they're, they're suddenly realizing, Oh, I have a bigger social need than I thought. And I've never actually had to go consciously spend effort to handle it. I think that that's kind of the situation that we're in a little bit. And I think that that had put a lot of extra strange energy into our relationship that hadn't quite been there before. Absolutely. And it just, you know, it was, it's, it was just a very strange circumstance. So that makes total sense. And I, you know, I've given thought, even though this doesn't apply to me at all, I've given thought to it in part because of Chris Newberg, who just released yep. another CD, by the way, which I just bought yesterday. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm sure it's fantastic. But you, you're friends with him on Facebook and you're friends with him in real life. I don't know how much attention that you pay to him. Yeah, a bunch. Yeah, we talk, I thought we, you did. I, I mean, thought we don't you did. we don't talk a heck of a lot, but we you know we we message back and forth and stuff. Well, I'm, um, I, I'm, I'm what I meant by that more was just do you see what he posts on Facebook? Because oh yeah, yep. Because when I think of the dynamic that you just described of your you said a submarine, I think that is the absolute perfect analogy because yeah. it's like there's I, all the videos I've seen of Chris and his girlfriend. Well, I believe her name is Michelle Dion, and she's yep. a gorgeous young woman. And seems like just an awesome person. So watching his videos, that he, you know, he's been putting out this incredible volume of stuff because, you know, he just like you said, he's you know introvert, extrovert. Plus, he's a he's a professional comedian, so he's got to keep doing something to maintain his chops and also just to do the the thing of being a comedian. You know, there's a, there's an outlet. There's there's a need to get stuff out, which you of all people will understand. Because you, how many, how, what was the, what was your record for number of days in a row you did stand up in front of a, in front of people? 109. I thought it was more than that. No, it was 109 consecutive days. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a lot. But you, that proves my point is that, you know, you're out there doing it publicly that many days in a row. That's crazy. But so watching Chris and Michelle, you know, hang out and do these little shows and make all these videos, you just got some feeling of what it's like to be trapped together. And then I thought, oh, yeah. and then my second thing I thought of when I thought of that was you and Gloria. And I thought, you know, Brendan and Gloria got to be going through that same sort of a thing. And my feeling without knowing anything about it, because I've never been to where you live, is that it's not a huge place. You live in the city of Chicago. I mean, it's a major city where it costs a fortune to live. And for most people of your age and demographic, you know, you're not going to be living in a 3,000 square foot condo. Because it would cost three million bucks, so yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm just picturing this modest place where two adults would fill that place up pretty full. Oh and, yeah, and then you can't get out of each other's way. Neither one of you are going anywhere. I mean, yep. I I can't even imagine that. There's a big part of me when you just told me what you started with there about you and Gloria. It's like I thought, you know, how much of that really is attributable to the Corona impact. And uh, I mean, at the end of, and, and I, I want you to continue with your story, but I just wanted to say this, that, you know, my hope is that whatever's meant to be is, is meant to be, because I thought you guys were great together. Love her. I, and I, it's amazing, you know, all the extended people in the family, I've told you this before. It's like every single person I ever heard comment about her said the same thing. 
Oh yeah. Which is oh my god, she's awesome. I love her. Yeah. She's so she's cool. The best. She just she just she rolled with any situation, which is really rare. Oh yeah, she's she's so she's so chill and she's so cool and she's she's very easy in normal circumstances to get along with. I think that what happened partially was that I mean, first of all, her concerns about you know me being away and doing comedy and working on all this stuff is you know those are totally fair. Absolutely. And sec- secondly, um, I think that just added to that was just the abruptness of the way this pandemic happened. Like I was in New York. I was, she was planning on me being gone for a while. We kind of had a plan going on what was going to happen, who was going to move where, what the move was going to look like at one point, what, you know, what point she was going to come out to New York. So I was gone. And then it was like, suddenly I was back and I was like trapped inside with her. And so it was like, you know, my need for social activity is higher than hers. So there was kind of this weird back and forth where like I would try to get my social fix talking with her. She would be like, dude, get away from me. There's nowhere to go. (laughs) I would go away. I would be angry. We wouldn't talk for hours. Then she would have a need to like have some or days and then she would have a need to have social interaction and then come to me. And I would be like, what do you like? What do you want now? Like you it was just so weird. I mean, like we don't fight. So it was like this strange, you know, sometimes that's worse there is kind of a worse aspect to it where it's like we both kind of know what's happening and we both don't, it's almost like we don't need to talk about it. Cause we're like, we look, we both understand what's happening and this is a completely bizarre circumstance, but it's almost like if it had been explicit, maybe we could have talked about it. Maybe we ought to have talked about it. I mean, we did eventually, we did talk about it, but it wasn't an argument, but then it's like, you know, it doesn't make sense to like yell at your partner for things that they can't control. Like she, she can't control a fucking pandemic. It was weirdly worse in a way, you know, and like all the normal, you know, things that go on in, in life where I would be able to go do comedy or I would talk to friends or I would hang out with people or go to the bar or whatever. And she would do the same. You know, she would be doing yoga. She would be seeing her yoga friends. Like none of that has had that hasn't happened for six months, you know. It's super weird. Yeah, it's like the, your your lives just get completely thrown in a direction they've never been thrown before, and and nobody knows how to deal with it, and everybody has to deal with it like right the fuck now. There's no warning. It just here we are, and I know in your case you 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 mentioned this a second ago because you know you were in the process of moving to New York, and. You know, again, I don't know all the details, but I thought you told me at one point that there was a plan for her perhaps join you in New York at some point. There was downsizing in Chicago, and you know there was a plan, and that plan just got torpedoed. To continue, oh, yeah. the submarine oh, yeah. reference, it was completely torpedoed. You know that that had to make what was a a difficult, you know, potentially difficult situation, even if it had gone perfectly, and now it's. It's just turned upside down and shaken, and what comes out of that? It's like that, uh, you know, that it, there wasn't an explosion between the two of you speaks volumes as to the, you know, as to the maturity of, I assume, the maturity of your relationship that, you know, that you weren't screaming and yelling and trying to kill each other because, you know, that would have been a logical outcome for lots of people in the same position you were in. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's a, so the, the point of me bringing that whole thing up was one, I guess, to update you on it and kind of just to talk about that. But then secondly, 
was to say I so now I'm up in Manistee and ostensibly was to, to give her some space. And, right. um, you know, now we're I got I'm her and I are and just to talk about how our relationship is now, like her and I are going on a trip together like this coming Friday. So she's we're not we don't hate each other. We're, we're spending time together. We're going to go on a trip up to Traverse City, I think, and go to some wineries and oh, stuff. Nice. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing her. She's looking forward to seeing me. It'll be weird a little bit, but you know, whatever. It's 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 fine. I still we still love each other very much. We'll see what happens. The reason I brought that up was just to say I'm kind of in this weird life circumstance right now where like I'm working at the day job is in a company in New York. The book is released. It's doing very well, and that's exciting. Yeah, um, congratulations. <laughs> we will talk about we will talk about this in a second um, as as a caveat because that's ostensibly the point of this episode of the podcast, but. Uh, you know, I, me and my co-author have been advising James Altucher in his national, in his response to this national story. Right. <laughs> it's been weird to be behind the scenes and see everything moving around, you know, and talk with him about what he ought to do in his response to Jerry Seinfeld's article in the New York Times. Yeah, and, that's really cool. Uh, talked about uh, the art, the blog post you wrote. He he had read it, and uh, which I think was great, and he said he really liked it. It's just a completely bizarre situation. My life is in an odd place where like I don't have to go back to New York. I don't think there's any value in going back to New York anytime soon. I would be spending an outrageous amount of money to live in a shoebox in a city that, as we know, is, is dying. Well, <laughs> and, and the there's just so much uncertainty there. It would be spending a lot of money to be in a I think not a great circumstance. I mean, New York's amazing. It's still great. The point is I don't really have to be anywhere and I don't really kind of want to be back in Chicago. That would be bizarre. I think a little bit to be in the same city as Gloria while, you know, we were separating and I don't see any value. Comedy's not really going on in Chicago. I'm not really sure what to do. So I kind of, I'm like, I don't really want to stay in Manistee. Honestly, it's boring up here. <laughs> So uh, the point of that, though, is that I decided to go to Traverse City, and, and I uh, strangely saw on Facebook that a high school friend of mine was in town, a guy named Richard. It was a He was in wrestling with me. His dad was the coach of the wrestling team, and this guy became a pastor down in Florida. He was always very much Christian, really involved with the church. You know, as a kid, I remember he even was a group of a comedy sketch team called Fools for Christ, where they did these sketches based on biblical stories that were pretty funny. Him and his brothers all did this, and I was friends with him and his older brother. And uh, I hadn't seen Richard in like 15 years, but he I just randomly saw that he was up in Interlochen, which is not very far from Manistee. And I asked if he wanted to go grab a drink in Traverse City, so we went and did that on Thursday. So that's a whole bunch of information, but do you understand sort of the, the movements there? Right, right, right. <laughs> okay, got it. So I met up with him at the uh, Traverse City Whiskey Company, which, by the way, is amazing whiskey. If you ever get the chance to buy some or see some it, Say in it again. the store. Say it again. Traverse, the Traverse City Whiskey Company. Mm. Interesting. Oh, it's so good, man. It's hard to even get outside the region, but it's, it's, it's so freaking good. And uh, so we met up there, and he described to me this very interesting story, not to air his dirty laundry necessarily – Maybe we could bleep his name out. But uh, he ended up telling me this odd situation where he was like, yeah, I was married for many years. I was a pastor for, you know, basically since I got done with seminary. I've been in Florida for 15 years. And I discovered recently that my wife was having an affair with two people. And one of them was the other pastor at the church. And what? the church, I know, I know. The church gave the other guy a six-month severance package and like and fired him. So Richard divorces his wife, which the church kind of had a problem with a little bit. 
and he navigated that conversation. What ended up sort of happening is that he, uh, he basically was single. He was a single pastor in Florida. Ended up dating a woman of his own in his own congregation. They dated for months. They slept together without him having being married to her, and that the church had a real problem with, and fired him outright. No severance, nothing. It was just like, bye, gone. We can't have you doing that here. And so this has been crazy because we meet up and, you know, I have this conversation with Richard. And first of all, our spiritual beliefs are actually really well aligned, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that is. Um, and secondly, it was been fascinating to talk with him because I was like, dude, this is so bizarre. And now I said pericaleo earlier. There was a part of me that I was like, it's not quite serendipity, but it's a point where pericaleo means coming together in Greek. I think of it as like a tuning fork is resonating and then you put it up next to something else and then that thing will start resonating at the same Mm. way. It's like these things like resonated together, like they were drawn together somehow. So it was like weird because I was talking with Richard. I'm like, what a bizarre. It's like you and I are in this like strange circumstance where we're both like he doesn't want to live in Florida anymore. He's up here kind of living with his parents. He's like, I'm not really sure what the next thing I'm going to do is. And I was like, dude, I'm in the same circumstance. That's wild. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is. That's really weird. So what's the punchline? You guys going to get a place together in Traverse City? Yeah, and then we're going to end up uh we're going to we're going to send that to some Hollywood producers and it's going to be like the odd couple. Um It's going to be the I next Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, it's going to be like Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Dude, that sounds uh, exciting to me. Like well, you know, to comment on your your main point, that is really interesting. I had a very interesting thing happen with a gentleman, another client of mine who is an older gentleman who I just have developed this really real fondness for. He's just a super guy, uh, an, another high net worth, super intellectual guy, former executive at Ford. And the kind of guy that, you know, you just meet some people and you really like them, but you also feel much, actually very much like the first guy I described you, the guy named John, where you can just kind of feel there's just no God. There's no, there's no spirituality in their soul. You know what I mean? They're just... They're just hard at. And they're nice people. It has nothing to do with whether they're nice or not nice, but you can just sense that they have no spiritual angle to their being. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so this guy, this guy's name is Jim. Long story short is I had lunch with him a couple days ago, and I've known the guy now probably about seven or eight years. I sold his condo, and he moved into an apartment, blah, blah, blah. Skip all that story. He was divorced many years ago. And he's been trying to just, you know, meet someone. And he's been doing that online. And the guy's probably 80. Mm-hmm. He's probably 80 years old, but he's a very young 80. He's very sharp. He's very technologically savvy. Um, has like a Proton email account. I mean, this guy is ahead of the curve on lots of stuff. It's crazy. But so we're, we're, we're having lunch. And I'm just sort of, you know, it's just sort of a standing thing with him. Where I see him maybe once every six months. I'll say, so what's new on the dating front? And he's always got a couple things going on with people like in Colorado or Florida, whatever. So he tells me this new story about this woman who lives in um, Scottsdale. Mm. And we start talking, and the punchline of this whole thing is that this woman has a spiritual side. And he had just told me this story about how she nearly died from this uh, uh, botched surgery. And that at one point that the family had been told, you know, to expect that she might not last another day or two. She was in a coma for something like 88 days, and she just miraculously came out of it. And when he told me the story, I said, 
you know, where I come from, and I call that a miracle. And he said, that's the term she uses for it too. And that just opened the door. And so we mm. just had this conversation mm. and this man who, I mean, you just got to know the guy. He's like, he's the kind of guy that you, if I did, if you didn't know anything about him and I, he just walked into the room, I said, what do you think, what's that guy's story? My guess is your first guess would be uh, ex-military. He's just got a hard edge about him. Yep. This man started crying. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, tears were literally just pouring out of his eyes. And he sat there. We're at an outdoor. We're at Pools Tavern in Northville. You know that, right? You know? That oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Outdoor. They, they got great, an outdoor they got section. Outdoor. And he's not even he's not even raising his hands to his face to, like, touch the tears. These tears are just flowing down his cheeks. And I thought at first, like, he was having an allergic reaction or something because, you know, he wasn't showing any, like, really emotional signs. He was just crying. And at one point, he had to, like, take his shirt up and, you know, like, dry his face off. But, I mean, it just kicked the door open to this conversation. And, like, this man, like, broke down. It was like he'd, he'd had this spiritual need. He admitted this. It's like his for whole life. For some time. And it his whole life. For a while. His whole life. And nobody, tur- nobody had ever turned that key or put the key in that lock or whatever expression you want to use. And it was just really cool because we just had this really long, intense conversation about you know, about spirituality and the Bible and God. And and I'm sorry, I lost my, my whole point here, is the timing thing here that you just referenced between you and this other guy, mm-hmm. it's, is in when, when Jim was telling me the story about how he met this woman, basically it came down to, and this is before he said anything about the spirituality, he said it was really crazy, the timing of this, because we basically had to connect in this one window of time, which he estimated to be about one week. Like if if their connection had happened a week earlier, there was this other thing going on that would have made it probably not go anywhere. And if it mm. happened a week later, there was some other thing going on. So it was like it had to happen that week. And so yeah. when I when he said that, I thought, okay, you know, that's sort of, in my experience, because I've had a lot of experience with this, it's like that's the first sign that I see when I look back on things that I believe God orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Is there some weird element like that that's sort of the entree to it where you think, how the hell did that happen? That's just so weird. It's like throwing a dime across the room and having it go through, you know, like an opening the size of a dime. You know what I mean? It's just mm. like, what the fuck was that? So anyway, it was really cool because I just got to have this great conversation with this guy and he's just hungry. Like that's what's been missing from his life. He's super wealthy, he used to race sailboats because he just had money to burn and all this shit. And he just had a hole in his soul that he needed to have filled. And this sounds like this woman is providing that or you know leading him in that direction so that's really cool but i hope are you are you going to do something with this guy for real uh i i don't know but i mean i don't i don't it's everything's up in the air right now i mean we'll see what happens i just it's really nice to reconnect with him either way oh yeah and it's kind of amazing what what we might end up doing is he had been talking about publishing a book called confessions of a fallen pastor Mm. which as soon as he said that i was like dude that is a best that's a bestseller like on its face, that's a bestseller because his big, I mean, we had a whole conversation. This will resonate with you. I know you, you, you love shit like this, which is like, he was, we had a whole conversation at the whiskey joint talking about how he was like, I think most Christians are actually some of the least Christian people I know. Oh yeah. And he, a big part of it was him just talking about his relationship with the church that he had been a pastor at for, you know, many years and how, 
you know, there were nuances to that story, which I won't share here because they're his story to tell that were, I was like, dude, that's nuts when you describe this to me. One of the things that I, I, I think I can share is that, you know, he was almost kicked out some years ago because in the place he lived in, in Florida, there's a lot of, uh, LGBTQ people uh-huh. and his big, he had a big ministry trying to get them to come into the church. And he had this meeting, I guess, where people were like, we don't want the, you know, we don't, we don't really want him here. And he was like, this is who Jesus came for was these people. I totally like, agree. Like people who are having challenges, people are totally having problems, agree. people are having like, and that was part of the reason he thinks that once there was this oppor- opportunity to get rid of him, that's what they, that's part of the mm. reason they did it. Ugh. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because uh, I've written a blog post on Unkview that talks about fallibility of Christians, and, uh, you know, I, I purport to be one. But one thing that I think causes Christians to have a bad name among whomever they have a bad name among is this hypocrisy factor. And uh, a real Christian, which sounds like your friend is, uh, one, he's completely correct, and, and you are as well in agreeing with him that Jesus came for the lost. You know, yeah. I mean, that's that's that was his whole deal. I mean, he was come. And, and, and if you read the Bible, you'll see that he hung out with the worst that society had to offer. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. all he hung out with in that day and age. The tax collector was considered. Oh yeah, it was to like be, the worst. Yeah, well, because they worked for they worked for uh, Caesar. Right, and there you was corru- massive corruption. I can only imagine the corruption, but the point is tax collectors were viewed as the lowest of the low in society. And uh, he hung out with pe- literally a tax collector and others like him. And so, yeah, absolutely the, your, that your friend, the pastor, his, his angle was correct. And secondly is that you know the real Christian understands clearly that how fucked up he or she is and how we're all sinful. We all have, you know, the worst person to me is the one who purports to be better than others, and particularly one who purports to be better than others because of something they believe in. You know, mm-hmm. that that's mm-hmm. just the, you know. The, it's that, that, I think you and I are in agreement on this, which is that kind of easy virtue is so oh, yeah. it's gross. angry to me, which is like, dude, you haven't done anything yep. to, to help anybody or to hold anything. That's hubris that's the definition of hubris. oh yeah. that's pride and pride in the face of the gods right and this is you know this the something we've talked a lot about cancel culture this this is why i hate cancel culture so much because the very essence the root the foundation of can- cancel culture is that you person over there did something wrong and therefore we should destroy you when every single person who would make that accusation themselves is as bad, if not worse, than whoever it is that they're that they're you know attacking, and it's yep. you know the, we, we one of us said this recently on one of our podcasts. I think it was me. Let he is who was without sin cast the first stone. That's yep. nobody. So the whole you know the whole idea of cancel culture just really pisses me off because it's just it is hypocrisy on steroids, and you know I just I can't stand it, but. Um, but you know, for whatever my opinion's worth, I think it'd be. Very, I think Traverse City be a pretty cool place to hang out for a bit. I, that's a cool town. I've been there several times recently. Um, Sean Carpenter, who you know, Sean Carpenter, who is now one of 
Sean has become, I don't know if we ever talked about this. Sean mm-hmm. has become one of the top speakers in the U.S. real estate industry from zero. I can believe it. From I can zero. believe it. Oh, yeah. He's phenomenal. I've seen him speak a bunch of his, times. His ability to connect with people is, is unbelievable. He's one of the few people I've ever met in my life that I thought he's better at connecting with people than I am. I think he might be because if I were to rank the people I've ever known in my life on that scale, the top three would be Sean, you, and your dad. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Sean's amazing. You saw it when... Well, the, the my one... dad is like a superpower for connecting with people sometimes. Well, I think it's you like, do it's, too. It's weird. People who otherwise dislike and, and can't get along with anyone else really like and get along with my dad. Your dad is impossible not to like. But Sean's just like that. I mean, and, and you know, Sean's just amazing. I mean, you saw it when we were on that Final Four trip, how he walked, you know, he met Dennis Miller twice. He met Bill Raftery, who who was the guy who announced the championship game on and on and on the, all these people that he just wa- walks up to. He walked up to some ESPN uh, person who was, you know, about to go on air and just struck up a conversation with him. And they weren't even upset with him. I mean, he's just an amazing connector. Yeah, you're right. But anyway, so he has become one of the preeminent speakers in the real estate industry. And in fact, it's crazy because I just got an email from my local real estate association with his image in it saying, Sean Carpenter, he's going to be given some virtual training, I think, like this week uh, here, you know, where I am in Michigan. But so mm-hmm. um, Sean was speaking at a conference in Traverse City at the Michigan Association of Realtors. And so we were just talking and I, you know, I was, uh, I, I offered to, to video him to help make him, to help make a, you know, a speaker reel for his speaking career uh, video, which I did. But I went with him on that trip and, um, you know, hung out in Traverse City. And that was my most extended exposure to it. It was, I think it was like three days. And mm-hmm. it's a cool town. I mean, you know this. You've been there. But it's a cool town. It's it's pretty substantial. You know, there's it's, it's kind of a town, small city. And it's just gorgeous. And the proximity to so many other things that are cool. Well, you know, it reminds me a lot of uh, – so actually my – we're not – we are so down the rabbit hole. We've been here for an hour not talking about anything that we were <laughs> planning on talking <laughs> well, about. Just like happens in every episode of this that's podcast. That's the goal. But it's, it, it's, it reminds me a lot of – it's almost like northern, lower, you know, lower Michigan's version of a combination of like Boulder, Colorado and like Austin, Texas. Yeah, a little bit. Except replace the lakes and river and, you know, with instead of mountains, um, it's like lake and river. Well, although Austin's got a river and a lake. But yeah. anyway, the point is, is like it's very similar. It's like breweries are everywhere. Yep. The micro, you know, Traverse City Whiskey Company is a micro still that's right there. They're, they're, those guys are really expanding because the shit they make is just delicious. Wow. I got to check that out. you know, the whole town is like really is really nice. It's it's hip. Yeah, There's it is a lot hip. of like kind of rustic hip wineries around the place you can you can bike everywhere you can walk everywhere um you know there's a bus system in the town it's like it it really reminds it's like also it's like portland it's like the portland of michigan minus the civil unrest (laughs) exactly to my knowledge there is no civil unrest there which would be another great reason to be there well it's funny because i've always i've always had this handful of places that i wanted to you know that i've always sort of dreamed of ending up in Yep. And uh, Traverse City is one that's on the short list. Like I really, I really truly hope that I end up somewhere in northern Michigan because I think, I think that northern Lower Michigan and northern Michigan or Upper Peninsula Michigan 
uh, it's some of the most spectacular places in America. And, you know, the, the natural beauty of that, what is it? Is it 21 or 121? 22, M22. Sorry, M22. And that drive along there, that Arcadia Bluffs overlook mm-hmm. thing. And I just think that that is just one of the most underrated places in America. You know, just spectacular lakes and like Crystal Lake. Have you, you've seen Crystal Lake? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I just, you know, I discovered that when I was the first time I visited your your parents in Manistee and I just drove randomly for like, you know, 100 miles. Mm-hmm. And the stuff I saw along that drive, I'll never forget it. And Crystal yeah, it Lake. Looks like you're in North, it's like, it looks like you're in like California or something. Yeah. Or like yeah. some, or, or, or like, or you're, or something out of like the Rocky Mountains a little bit. Or Italy. <laughs> yeah. Or Italy. Actually, yeah. is a better description. Yeah. It looks like it's actually, you know, uh, like some Como. European, like Switzerland or something. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And so, anyway, uh, I hope you get that opportunity to do that. Just to you know, spend some time there because you've, you've you've lived in so many different places. That'd be a cool place to add to your list. Yeah, I I, I will see what happens. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about a lot of things. I mean, part of it might be, uh, you know, heading to Austin, Texas, which might be another thing. That's a whole other conversation. But well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, you know, I almost moved there, and um, yep, I just yep. I fucking hate that place. Just, just, just fucking hate it. Maybe clear. I don't hate it because of Austin. I hate it because of the climate. I just can't survive that climate. The Austin's awesome. Obviously, everybody knows it's probably the number one, you know, the number one most popular city in America. I would say at this point, you know, in terms of what what city has been hot for the last ten years. To me, that's number one. Mm, mm. But I can't survive the climate and the the. The allergies they have down there are crazy. They got a major problem with cedar, and there are lots of people who move there. When they get there, they have no allergy to cedar whatsoever. Five years later, they spend six months of the year not being able to breathe. Oh, boy. No, I, I, I'll connect you with a guy named Mike Harris, who I used to work with, who lived in Austin, and he moved there from Minnesota. And loved Austin, absolutely. He now he now he moved to Portland. I haven't talked to him. He moved like three years ago. I haven't talked to him since, but uh, that's an interesting transition. But he he moved from Minneapolis to Austin. He said it took him five years to acclimate to the weather. He finally did to the point where like eighty degrees indoors didn't bother him. But that's when the allergies kicked in. And oh, I think boy. that's ultimately why he moved is because the allergies became so severe that – and there's just – you you think I'm exaggerating this, but just go down there and just say to some whoever – whoever you're with, just say, tell me about allergies and just wait and see what they say because lots I, of people – I believe it's true. I mean Priscilla, my um, at one time second girlfriend, always talked about how bad her allergies are during a big part of the year. And yep. So I believe it. I yeah, mean, I, it's it's just that that's Texas, man. The whole the whole state wants to assault you. Well, somehow. it's <laughs> well, what's crazy about Texas is it's so big that it has multiple climates in it. You know what I mean? It's like Austin's kind of its own thing. Dallas's climate is totally different. I don't know. I don't even know how far apart they are. I think they're pretty far apart. But you know, Austin is just it's like a it's a very unique climate even for Texas, and it's just hot, humid, hot. Yeah, it and rains humid. a lot. Rains all the time. No, no, I don't think that's true. No, no, it does. I mean, as I never heard to that. The people I've had there, they're like, oh, yeah, it rains a lot. I mean, compared to the rest of Texas, it rains a oh, lot. Oh, that could be. That could be. 
but yeah, the general climate there was just oppressive. I mean, I was just dying of heat in January. So yeah, I, I wouldn't work for me. But but yeah, in terms of opportunity and business and you know social media and digital stuff, I mean, pretty much you know Tim Tim Ferriss moved there. Tim Ferriss moved from San Francisco to Austin, and it's like everybody you know Daniel Moranis. Yeah. You know, he lives there now. I don't think he's from there. Uh, I mean, it's like everybody that's in that sort of niche of, you know, digital, social media, leveraged Amazon, leveraged the web. Like, they all seem to live there, except for the ones who live, like, in Silicon Valley or California. But they, they seem to, that trend, they're moving in one direction. It's from California to Austin. Nobody's moving from Austin to California. Dude, nobody is moving from Austin to California. Nobody's moving to California. No. No, people are sprinting, <laughs> sprinting out the door of California as they should be because that, that state is about to collapse. I, I've been meaning to write a blog post about this because, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of research on it over time. And the numbers are just increasing and the, you know, the political climate out there has just gone off the edge. It's insane yeah. what they're doing out there. I even saw somebody on something on Facebook recently talked about um, – the intention of to prevent companies from leaving, that they would have some sort of an exit tax of some sort, which could be significant. Like, could you imagine if you started a business there and you just wanted to remove it, and they said you couldn't? Yeah. What? We're like, like, like I'm trying to move my landscaping business because I'm like one guy who owns the equipment, and I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about moving to, I don't know, Idaho, and they're like, yeah, it's going to cost you, yeah, thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, I just there's no fucking way that would hold up and into this. I mean, that would go all the way to the Supreme Court. I'm sure well, it would get knocked down. But the well, amount of problems that that would even create in the meantime. Oh yeah, it's like what a ridiculous, what a bad way to brand yourself. Um, so do you want to get to? I, do you want to get to the topic we actually came here to talk about? Uh, yeah, an hour into it, um, we should get into the topic. I so okay. So so here's what's here's what we were ostensibly supposed to talk about from the beginning was basically we talked about the article that, you know, James created, um, on LinkedIn and how it blew up and why it blew up and all this stuff. You, and wrote, uh, is you steel manned his points in an article that he read and really liked, which I thought was cool. It was cool to hear that he read that. And yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I mean, he reads everything and what's the, the timing of this has been in, in, intensely strange because when we talked about this previously, the craziest thing that had happened was that Glenn Beck had read his article on yep. his show. Well, you know, what, 48 hours after that, uh, I woke up and someone had sent me Jerry Seinfeld's op-ed in the New York Times. It's like he's a fictional figure. Uh, hey, he's such an icon. Yeah, and he's such an icon. He's almost like a, some kind of weird, like like Hercules or something. Like he, you've heard about him your whole life, and you've heard about him in stories, you've seen him in movies, but he's not he's not real. And then like he became real. Yep. And there's, by the way, just to not to nerd out too hard, but there's this is an actual concept in in philosophy called the hyper hyper real that argues that the virtual world that we're creating online is more real than the real world. Nothing actually happens in the real world anymore until it does, and then it becomes hyper real, which is it's like, oh, my God, all these things that I thought were virtual. You know, it's like the scene from uh, uh, the, the, the ring where the girl gets out of the TV screen. It's like that thing happening in real life. Mm -hmm. That's that's what it was like. Holy shit. Jerry Seinfeld just wrote an article about the guy who wrote the forward for my book. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, and especially because one degree this of separation. A, there you go. Like now I'm now it's hyper real. It's becoming it's it, now it's real. It's, it's, it's on my computer. I'm looking at it. He's linking to James's article in the New York Post like this is madness. And we just published a book about how to win conversations with that matter. And now James is in a situation that our advice is critically you know, Relevant geared too. toward. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole week has been me and my co-author basically advising James and talking with him about a bunch of different things, how to respond, in what way to respond, you know, and um, it, I mean, there were things that I can't share publicly on this podcast that like went back and forth simply because James has asked me not to in terms of like right. people who have reached out to him who were trying to tell him like you need to respond and here's some things you need to have. But he had us involved in that conversation and that was like just nuts to me, which yeah, was like very cool. So a big part of this, though, was just that he really touched a nerve with that article. And I think that part of it is that it was picked up by conservative media outlets who have a dog in the fight to try to portray American cities as in decline because they're under Democratic leadership, which is just regardless of the truth or not of that. That's, I think, why it got picked up. And then a lot of people tribally responded to it. And that was part of what Jerry Seinfeld's response was, was that it was like, I'm the leader of the tribe of left wing people who love New York. So I need to say, you know, fuck you to this guy. Um, but just observing how this moves around at this level has been like it's like a grad school class or something that I'm oh, like yeah. watching. No, no. The, as you and I discussed the other day, you know, this is really is this an extraordinary convergence of things happening. And the fact that, you know, the timing of your book and your relationship with James, et cetera. Yeah, it's just crazy to observe what's happening, and uh, it's it's been really cool for me to watch because one, I'm just interested in this topic. Period. Whether you have anything to do with it or 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 anybody has anything to do with it, you know what I mean? To me, this is just a fascinating topic. This this issue of truly is it possible that a city like New York could be dead forever? Mm. Is that possible? Mm. Is that actually a possibility? Like to me, that is a fascinating thing to to contemplate. Like that's just, you know, that's I would put that in whatever my highest category of just me being interested in a topic. I'd be right. It's, in your, it's just it's just a, it's fascinating because you think of the well, New York is just such an incredible place. I love New York. I love well, it. it's I mean, it's an amazing city. And look, it's not going to be gone forever. It's not going to go. I mean, the thing that everybody said is it's going to go the way. Is it going to go the way of Detroit? And you're like, first of all, d there are worse fates. Wait, you know what I mean? Wait a minute. But I got to stop you here, because in our last podcast, you said if New York's lucky, it could end up like Detroit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Right. <laughs> well, what I mean by that is like it. it I know. It, I'm not like, being fair. I admit it. Yeah, it's like it's come. I mean, Detroit's come a long way. There's a yeah. lot worse fates than right. than being the city of Detroit. But I, I, by and large, I understand what they mean, which is like, look, is it going to lose the things that you know? Is it going to is it going to be affected in such a way? I mean, look, De Blasio's laying off like twenty two thousand people, man. Like that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Not only that, and this is a point that's relevant to this conversation, which I James reminded me of, which is like, New York's. Here's the thing about the city of New York that is actually kind of fucked up which is that the city existed in a super bubble for such a long time it wasn't just a bubble it was a super bubble so james is like not 100 correct about everything he's saying in that article but the point wasn't he's not writing a fucking 
you know, graduate thesis. Right, just an opinion piece. piece. It's just an opinion piece. And what that is is it's fed into this, like, cultural zeitgeist in a bunch of different ways, and that's now created and, – and honestly, now that Jerry's responded, it's created an entire ecosystem of things in its wake, which has been crazy to watch. But, like, a big part of this is that he's – He's pointing out accurate problems the city has, but he's not point. He, he it's not a solution piece. It isn't like right. He's not talking about why these are happening or how accurate, what what way we should view them or anything like this. He's just saying here's what's happening, and then yeah. here's why I left, and it's sad, and like that's the whole article. But people are treating it like it should have done more or whatever, which is why, from a frame perspective, and talking about it from the direction of the Power Bible, which which you know Bill and I co-wrote has been so interesting is because it's like people are trying to outframe him and a big tactic they're using is labeling, which is they're trying to disc- they're trying to label him and the things he's doing and then define those terms in a way that that prevent him from effectively responding to them. So a big part of this conversation has been how does he respond to these terms and what way does he respond to them? Which ones does he, you know, sort of critically and tactically ignore in order to per- to accept other ones and respond to those effectively? You know, and what are his goals in this situation? And what's fascinating about this, Uncle Mike, without even getting into talking about New York, is that James doesn't want any of this attention. Like, James is a sweet guy. He's a very nice man. He's He wrote this article out of a genuine concern for the city and things that he really saw were going on that no one was talking about or addressing properly. And, and those were – he was worried about it. That's why he wrote the article. He wasn't trying to create this conversation necessarily, and he wasn't like – attempting to draw this much ire from people and get into this many arguments. And so as a result, he doesn't have a goal in doing that. If the roles were reversed, you know, I'm 34. If I had done that, I might still be in this fight because I'd be like, okay, I'm going to make my name here. I'm going to double down. Maximize this opportunity. Exactly. But James is like, look, he's already got book deals. He's already a multimillionaire. He's basically getting death threats for like no reason. Which is crazy. That's just nuts. Yeah, the fact that people would want to threaten him with ending his life because he pointed out problems that are going on inside the city of New York is fucking insane. Yeah, it is. Like, it strains the boundaries of credulity to understand why somebody could be that personally hurt and affronted to be like, I need to attack this guy. Because somebody expressed an opinion. Exactly. That, that, That he backed up with facts, you know? Yep. Here's an informed opinion. Fuck you. I'm going to kill you. You're like, what What? What happened in the, somebody's life? You know what I mean? To like get I mean, this madness, man. What happened I, is that they, they're just alive and existing in this insane time in which we're living, in which the, the, uh, the rhetoric has been pumped up to that level on a, seeming, on a seemingly almost permanent basis. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a ten, everything's a 10. Yeah, everything is just yeah, exactly. Everything is a ten, and everything is well. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the footage of uh, Rand Paul, you know, coming out after Trump's speech, and that the the African American governor from, I believe, governor from Georgia or whoever, Vernon Davis, I believe his name is. No. No. No, I haven't seen. I didn't see that. Please tell me you're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. I haven't. Seen, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you you know, every time we talk. You, you, you sort of proved to me what I told you before about just, I mean, it's not like I'm telling you, I'm just saying, you know, a truth in terms of the media, because I've seen these videos 35 times each, just Google it and watch, and then watch the, uh, the interview that, uh, 
Rand Paul and his wife did with uh, Tucker Carlson. But anyway, they were simply leaving the speech, you know, the, on the, from the final night of the Republic, Republican convention. And they were surrounded by a mob. And luckily, there were a handful of policemen there with bicycles who formed like a barricade around them. But at one point, you see this heavily dreadlocked dude come forward and like push a cop back who then falls back into to Rand Paul and almost knocks him down. It's just mm. chaos. Mm. And then there's a totally separate incident. There's this Vernon Davis guy who's a very looks like a very large and imposing African-American dude, looks like a formal, f- former football player. Same situation. The difference is nobody jostles him. But he's surrounded by cops. They have to, like, walk him, like, inch by inch through a crowd. And their people are just screaming shit at him. And then there's a bunch of other random footage of just random people, not, you know, not politicians, who are just walking out after the speech. And there's just, there's just a surrounded by uh, liberals who are screaming profanities at, like, an, an 85-year-old couple. Like, right in their fucking face face just screaming shit it's just vile and i mention this just Mm -hmm. because that's where we are is that you know just i'm just an average person walking out of this situation and somebody's going to get in my face and scream shit at me and make me think they're going to hit me it's just that's just so out of control i don't i don't think part of the thing that i think has gotten we need i mean look we can get back i think this does affect james and i think this is germane to the conversation with james i think that Part of what has gotten out of control in this country is this shoot the messenger, basically atmosphere. Well, and it's has, not, it, well, and, and not, yes, you're correct, but let's amplify that. It's not just shoot the messenger, it's shoot the messenger, cut his fucking head off, run it through a chipper, and, you know, dismember and then the burn body. the rest of his body in effigy. Yes. In the town square. Yes. Yeah. The level how, of venom. How dare and, he point out legitimate problems that he feels authentically might affect us right yes like you can disagree and not have to fucking kill your enemy man it's it's mad it, that's we'll that's the part that's true, that. true madness let me put it this way i don't think violence is always wrong in every circumstance but i feel like trying to attack a guy like you know Rand paul as he leaves the republican national convention is wrong and i think that the onus is on level-headed people on all sides to call out the bullshit in their own side. For totally doing agree. But let's and get, I feel like that's the most dangerous thing to ask someone to do right now. Yeah, but I agree with that. And I don't, I'm not trying to cut you off. I'm really not. But let's go back to James. Yep, 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 yep. What's been kind of nuts about this is that, you know, he's pointed out real issues from the city of New York. And then Jerry responds by mentioning zero of those issues. And right. so yep. the frame battle that's taking place is one from status and authority versus facts. Yeah. And and emotion, which in the thing that's odd about it is that Jerry, because of his position, can't actually respond to the facts. Because if he did, he'd lose it, he would be losing his position. He would be losing his status position. The status frame only exists when someone responds inarticulately. Because and that's it has to it has to be that way. Yep. Because if you start taking people seriously who are disagreeing with you, it 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 automatically asserts that they're on the same level as you. And so if if Jerry did that, he would be actually giving credence to to James's points. And look, 
James, you know, let's just remove the fact that we think James is correct about a lot of the things he's saying here. He might be wrong. You know what I mean? Of he course. could be wrong. Absolutely. And it would require a, a, a level-headed scrutiny of the facts. But that has become so completely politicized in this, like, completely nuts atmosphere that we've skipped over that part of the conversation. We don't even care if we're recognizing facts at all now. It's like we're not, they're not even important to the conversation. I don't disagree with the idea that you and I discussed privately before, you know, the, the other day, which was, uh, you know, the idea of engaging Seinfeld further on this, eliciting yeah. a response from Seinfeld, an additional response from Seinfeld. My thinking well, he, there, my thinking yeah. there is that you're, I don't think that that's likely to happen and why oh, it's not gonna. Yeah. Exactly. It be, because it, it, that would be truly madness if well, it happened. And I think maybe it could happen if not for the fact that I don't think Seinfeld is a complete idiot. I don't think the man is stupid. And I think my, my personal view of this is that he wrote that, that piece in the New York Times emotionally, clearly, clearly emotionally. Yep. It's like he was just reacting to this idea that was just so opposed to every, every fiber of his DNA. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld, right? I think, who's Mr. New York? Like Seinfeld's mm -hmm. on that list. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, he really is. Like J Derek Jeter and Reggie Jackson and uh, Rudy Giuliani. I mean, yeah, he, his, he's, he's, he's synonymous with the U New York comedy for sure. Absolutely. And so I think he was just, you know, reacting. Nobody, nobody ever goes, where is Jerry Seinfeld from? Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so, but once he responded in that fashion, he painted himself into a corner from which there is no extracting himself. Because, again, he, if, he, if he responds further, he has to, he has to respond he can't just repeat what he already said. So he basically has to address what what James said. And if he does that, yeah, he he loses. And I don't think he's stupid. So I think at this point he just cuts his losses. I don't yep. think no matter what James does, I don't think unless it were like a personal challenge, like I challenge you to a live debate. You know, like if he did that, I bet you Seinfeld might respond, but I don't see James doing that. And I think anything short of that, Seinfeld is just going to ignore it and hope it goes away because I think ultimately you know, as I wrote in a subsequent blog post about, you know, I scored it like a boxing match between James and Seinfeld. And I mean, James just crushed him because yeah. I was viewing it from the perspective of, you know, like the facts and the facts are on James' side. So Seinfeld, by using the initial approach that he did, he painted himself into a corner, I think. Yeah, I mean, but he that's the only I mean, he got everything he wanted out of the situation. He became the subject of a Who national did? conversation that went on for an entire week. Who did James like, or Jerry? Yeah, Jerry did. Oh, okay. Um, I think James got more than he wanted out of the situation and a lot yeah. of things he didn't ask for. Right. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, I, I still, you know, again, there's comments on on onfew.com or on our Facebook page, you know, in response to the blog post um, that I've written, in which somebody said, "Fuck, uh, fuck James Altucher, he can get the fuck out of here," or something like that. And I didn't even respond to it. I was going to say, do you really think that reaction is warranted? All the man did was express an opinion. I mean, mm. he, he wasn't cheering mm. for it. He wasn't rooting for it. I mean, why would you react like that? And again, for the same reason that Seinfeld did. It's just they don't, people don't want to hear it. And yeah, they're, they're, the messenger is on the endangered species list today. Today's world, <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, it's just it's it it the the things that I've been saying lately on almost all sides is that this strains the boundaries of credulity. Yep, it like does. it's just hard to believe 
any of these. Like if you had said a few years ago, yeah, you know all the weird things that are moving around in culture right now. Well, here's where we're going to end up in a few years. You'd say I'd no, be like, fucking, no way. fucking way. No fucking way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No way that's going to happen. Like, I mean, truly the response that I, mean, I said this to James and I think he's been using it when we were talking to him and advising him on how to respond to this is I was like, look, man, you know, it, it, this is like you saying my wife is a drinking problem and people going, why do you hate your fucking wife? And you're like, yeah, what? what? Like that, <laughs> that was like the response. And because it became ad hominem, yep. necessarily you can tell that there's not a lot of substance. Yeah, there you go. You nailed it. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of real, you know, gunpowder or gas. And there was stuff. no substance, like, none. Yep. He only engaged, he, Seinfeld, Seinfeld only engaged James on one, as far as I saw it, on one specific thing that James said. And that was his whole point about, you know, people are working remotely. That's the trend. That's the way it's going to go. And Seinfeld's response was, well, actually it was two things. There was that. And then there was the AB thing, the after broadband or bandwidth or whatever. You know, uh, Seinfeld did comment on two of those things and on both points, he had nothing. It was just like he said, oh, people don't like people hate working remotely. If they didn't, there wouldn't be a Silicon Valley. People would just all work remotely. No, that's not true, Jerry. And there's well, so much evidence. That there's so much evidence. Because, you nailed it. Sorry, sir. Sorry. I didn't mean to step over your words. That's I just okay. am I'm just violently agreeing with you because it you know, part that's that's really the X factor here. People are like, well, well, the Spanish flu happened and New York lived through the Spanish flu. You're like, look, there's there is no there in no universe is the amount of capital that exists in New York, the physical capital and infrastructure that exists crumbling, though it may be in the city of New York. There is no world in which that is entirely an all wholesale going to go down. I mean, it's just too big and important. It's America's largest city. It's just not going to happen. But that wasn't the point of James's article. He wasn't arguing discursively, like I said, in a graduate thesis that New York was ending, he was sharing a loose collection of his thoughts and feelings, which were supported by a lot of data. Yeah. And, and it's weird to me though, because it's like the, the, the X factor here is the change in, in broadband internet bandwidth Yep. is that it's like, look, my job hasn't been affected at all, man. If anything, I'm more productive now for my day job because I don't have to commute into and out of an office across Manhattan and, you know, and spend time being bothered in an office setting. Like if I don't want to talk to somebody now, I ignore their call and I ignore their Slack messages and emails and I just focus on getting the thing done that I'm trying to do. Right. And by and large, that's the case with all now currently functioning American white collar business. And that hasn't, that has never happened before. That has never happened before and ever. And so the ability for you to, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it's going to strangely save New York, which was before Jerry Seinfeld wrote this response, one of the things that Bill and I were advising James on is he should write a second part to this article talking about after we were like, once it hits its zenith, which we thought was going to be him going to be on like Tucker Carlson talking about it or CNBC talking about like New York real estate or something. Right. You know, we that's what we thought the height of the. I, I, th- I said that to you last time we were on this. I was yeah, like, that's going to be the height of this article of this situation. But once, J- J- you know, once Jerry wrote that article, it would now James is in a position where, first of all, he doesn't have to own his position. He doesn't have to say, oh, no, I'm doubling down on the fact that I think New York is dying because he didn't mean that anyway in the way that he that it sounded like he meant it. Right. But he he it became impossible for him to then publish the kind of conversation that we you know wanted that response being like here's what 
you know, is, here's how this is going to save New York. It became impossible for him to publish that article in the in the climate that that Jerry created. So you can see why that's the case, right? I just want to like. No, I actually I can't. Can, I can talk about that. I can't. Okay, so here's the reason that he can't do that now is because Jerry has changed the article attacking uh, the conversation, attacking him, and then talking about how New York will always recover. Like James will look publicly Defensive. to the people who. Say, he'll look cra- say that one more time, sorry. Defensive. He will look defensive and he'll actually look like he's capitulating. Yes. Which he can't do now. I agree. So he can respond and say, well, look, I, know, I don't own the fact that New York's going to die. I just wrote that article title as a clickbait and it's what I, you know, it's whatever. And you, you know, here's why I think it's true. Here's why it's not true. He could do that. So a lot of the points that we've made of here's why this will save New York, he could you know, salvage those and attempt to put them into this other article, but he cannot now write the same article because it, it would look like he was submitting or capitulating to, yeah, which I is agree. the worst thing you can do in this situation. I agree. It, yeah. it sacrifices the people who supported you and loses respect to the people who were defying you and makes him look bad and, and I makes think, him look bad. Yeah. I, I so think he can't now do that. I agree. If he, and, and if he does nothing, I think he's fine. Because it's sort of like, hey, you know, I said my piece. You don't have to agree with it. Uh, it was an opinion, you fucking idiot. I don't have to defend my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, that's what, I mean, he could do that. I think that in, in many ways, I think his response was pretty good. I think the, the I think he's going to be putting a video out, which we helped kind of advise him on a little bit. Um, he's going to put that out. He ended up using a point that I gave him to make, which was that, New York is under trauma right now. The definition of trauma is pain without a known end. And I was like, that's exactly the situation New York is in. And that's what he said basically in his, in his response as he was like, this is not painful for Jerry, but this is painful for millions of New Yorkers who have no idea when this is going to end. When's he going to put that video out? Uh, I think he might release it in the next, he might release it today. He might release it in the next couple of days, but he, um, He's gonna pop it out. Maybe we can, you yeah, know, look end up that. sharing it when it comes out. But uh, that that particular point is really good, and that's really what he should have strongly come at Seinfeld with. And he did a little bit. He came at him at, on Twitter and in this other article, which is, how the fuck? What New York are you talking about, Jerry? The New York for billionaires or the New York for everybody else? Yeah, I because, like like this comment about the sports cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm sure his reality being a billionaire is very different from. Yeah, the average New Yorkers. Uh, I mean, completely. Yeah, it's there was an article where somebody was like, "There's there's rich New York and real New York, and Jerry doesn't occupy real New York." No, I'm sure he doesn't. Uh, we don't know the end of it. I mean, functionally, I think the story is now complete. I think James will probably release that video. It'll probably be the end of it. I don't think there will be any other yeah, things that will probably happen. Probably true. What I think this has done is it's created a strange context through which the next bunch of months in New York history will Will be be scrutinized. Yes. And James, you know, for better or worse is now going to be associated with a lot of this. And truthfully, like he loves New York. He's the poster child for that conversation. Yeah. Right. And he loves New York. So it's like he, he feels bad that now he's going to be, I mean, if he goes back to New York, people are going to be like, Hey, fuck you, James on the street to him. Probably. 
now he's he's facing a bunch of ire from total strangers based on this situation and I think I think a good analogy would be like being charged with a crime you didn't actually commit. You know what I mean? It's like there's just it's so hard to get that stigma off of you. Yeah. Um but and James has the the misfortune in my opinion of he's so recognizable physically. He's oh, just yeah. he's, he's just he's got his oh my personal God. brand, dude. If you don't know what he looks like, just you know check out unkfew.com and you know we got photos of him on these most recent blog posts, but he's just a very very unique look he's a i think he looks really cool I, I like his look you know it's just like devil may care you know kind of swashbuckling slashing you know he's just he's not a typical looking dude you know who he reminds me of is malcolm gladwell yes yeah a lot of people confuse him with malcolm Gladwell. oh yeah i can see how they would because they have the same sort of hairstyle and they both wear glasses whatever but uh but he's so recognizable that you know anybody that ha- that cared about that argument probably would recognize him on the street I mean, he. I just feel bad for his situation, to be honest. But here's to me, he has an easy response to anybody that says anything to him. I, if somebody said, "Hey, aren't you that fuck who says New York is dead?" Fuck you, dude. You're dead. I would say, "Listen, man. Go back and read what I wrote. I was not in any way hoping that happened. I love New York. I live in New York. I want to live in New York. I've always been in New York. I own a fucking business in New York." Why, what what interest would I have in saying something like that unless I really believed it? I just said it because it was in my heart. I'm not rooting for it. Look, you and I are having this conversation on Fifth Avenue, aren't we? I'm yep. in New York. New York. I'm we here, w- dude. We wouldn't be having this conversation unless I was physically here. I'm physically here. So I'm doing everything in my power to help the city come back. I just said that because that's what I really thought in the moment. So if you want to get mad at me because I had an opinion, go ahead. But yeah. I'm not rooting for the demise of New York, you dumb fuck. I yeah. want this city to come back. <laughs> so uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Yeah, this has been an interesting episode. I hope you've enjoyed it as much of, as we've enjoyed just having the conversation. Lots of stuff covered. And uh, Brennan, congratulations to you and William Petit the Third on the publication of the uh, the, power Bible. the Power Bible. And uh, you can yeah. go get that on Amazon. We'll have the link probably in the. We will. We will. Uh, yeah, it'll be an affiliate link that I get paid on. But um, Hell yeah, dude. But uh, thank you for listening as always. And we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Unkview.